You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I want to tell you a love story. It's my senior year of high school. I got a job working at a bike shop. I'd always loved riding bikes growing up, but this is the first time I ever learned how to true a tire, you know, or change a tube. Something about adjusting brake cables just makes you feel like a man. <laughs> this was really my journey into adulthood. Every day I'd go home smelling like bike grease. And um, one day I was stocking the goo packets, as you do, and something caught my eye. I glanced up over the energy bars, and I saw her. (laughs) And time seemed to slow down as her slender frame caught the sunlight just right. She was beautiful, yet delicate. But you knew, you just knew she knew her way around a trail, you know? She had style and elegance and just the right amount of sass. Her name was Kona. She was a Hawaiian girl. She was the most beautiful mountain bike that I've ever seen. (laughs) And I knew in that moment that one day she would be mine. (laughs) So I took every extra shift at the shop that I could get. I grabbed all the extra hours I could get my hands on. Every paycheck brought me a little bit closer. Every one of my 15-minute breaks I spent with her, (laughs) making sure no one else was getting too close. Didn't want to run it off, you know? And I'll never forget the day I got to take her home. It was the most money I have ever spent on anything in my entire life. I'm embarrassed to tell you a number, so I'll just say it was nicer than any car I've ever owned. (laughs) And I got her home, put on some music, carefully removed the plastic packaging and the styrofoam. It was the first time I've ever cared enough to read an owner's manual. And I'm sitting there weeping just about the specs of this bike. It's so just heartfelt. And I get about halfway through this thing when something stops me dead in my tracks. And I want to share it with you. This is straight from page 37 of the Kona Mountain Bike Owner's Manual. It says this, nothing lasts forever, not even your bike. And I'm like, wait a second. Then what's, th- what's this all about? It stung a little. I mean, yeah, like philosophically, nothing lasts forever. But I thought with all the time and energy and money I'd put into this thing, that maybe, just maybe, I was the exception. And yet, Here she is. Nothing lasts forever. Not even your bike. 
Jesus said it like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he summarizes this section in a very potent statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you've been with us throughout the summer, you know that this is really the whole focus of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus could care less about behavior modification. He wants heart alteration. He doesn't want you to just look like you've got it all together on the outside. He wants something to shift on the inside. Proverbs 4 puts it perfectly when it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. When Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he's saying, show me your receipts, show me your credit card statements, show me your Amazon wish list, and I'll show you where your heart is. And maybe you, like me, have had that thought, man, if I just had that, then I'd be happy. If I just got that promotion, if I just got that bonus, everything will be all right. But deep down, if we really stop and think about it, we know that's not true. We know that's not true because we said, we said the same thing five years ago. We make way more money now than we did then. We continue to upgrade our standard of living, but our quality of life stays the same. If we're honest, Maybe it's even worse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't buy happiness. And if you don't believe me, take it from some of the richest men who've ever walked the earth. W.H. Vanderbilt said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor said, I'm the most miserable man on earth. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. John D. Rockefeller, still considered to be the richest person in modern history, said, I've made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. And if you don't recognize any of those guys, take it from Henry Ford, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Even those who seem to have it all, the American dream, things that we dream about having are left wanting more. And no matter how many promotions you get at work or packages arrive on your doorstep, nothing can fill the hole that's in our hearts. And in today's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to lay before us two treasures, two visions, and two masters that expose what our hearts are really longing for. So let's jump in and take a look at the treasure. Sorry, my boys are really into Jake and the Neverland Pirates right now. So it's all pixie dust and gold doubloons in my house. He presents before us an earthly treasure that gets rusty and mothy, and an eternal treasure that is moth-proof. Maybe if you also have kids, you've made the mistake of walking past the toy aisle when you're at the grocery store. You ever had this trauma happen to you? 
Yeah, you just have this look in your eyes. I know it's, you don't have to raise your hand. And you hear something to the effect of, please, can I have it? It's the only thing I want in the whole world. And you're looking at this piece of junk, plastic, that you know won't survive the car ride home and is on sale for $25, trying to explain the laws of depreciation. Brand new cars and houses, they all have an expiration date. Nothing lasts forever. And that was especially true in the ancient world. Instead of a Wells Fargo, you buried your life savings under your house, and all a thief needed was a shovel. One of your most valuable possessions was your clothing, which we don't maybe quite understand, but back then, clothing was seen as a sign of status. You passed your clothes on to your kids when you passed away, and yet, that wasn't even safe from the bugs. And even though we've got bank accounts and those little crystal gel packets that come in our new shoes, the same is true for us. Nothing lasts forever. Jesus really drives this point home with a story that he tells about a farmer who has a bumper crop one harvest. He's got more grain than he knows what to do with. He's like Scrooge McDuck. Instead of swimming through gold coins, he's swimming through kernels of grain. And um, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't know what to do with all this grain, but he thinks, well, I worked hard, I earned it, so I deserve it. So he tears down all of his old barns, and he builds bigger, better barns so he can store it all for himself. But check out what happens next. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And that's the thing about earthly treasure, that one day, everything that we have, everything that we hold onto so tightly will either be in a landfill or someone else's storage unit. Billy Graham used to say, I never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. This farmer runs out of time before he runs out of money. And the story ends with a very stern warning. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. If greed is this idea of storing for yourself, then generosity gets at this idea of being rich towards God. And that's our first practice for today to be rich towards God. And it's an investment strategy straight from the mouth of Christ. You see, when we're rich towards others, we are in turn rich towards God and he will be rich towards us. Jesus isn't anti-treasure, do you know that? I think sometimes we, th we think of him that way. He isn't anti-treasure, he just wants you to have the good stuff the stuff that lasts, the eternal treasure, treasure in heaven. He even breaks down the numbers a bit more for us later on in the book of Matthew. He says, everyone who's given up houses or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. I know how long it's been since you took economics, but that's uh, some pretty good profit margin right there. It's like a 10,000% return on your investment. See, whenever we share what we have with others, something happens. God takes that temporary treasure and he converts it into true treasure. I love how Tozer puts it when he says, money can be transformed 
into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the gospel. Any temporary possessions can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. The idea here is when you give away what you have, you get what really matters. When you give away what you have, you get what really matters. When you give away your earthly, temporary treasure, you get treasure in heaven. But so often, when a little extra comes our way, we hit good fortune, we do exactly what the farmer in the story did. We assume it was meant for us. We think, well, I worked hard, so I earned it. I deserve it. And so we upgrade our storage unit, get a bigger house with a bigger garage that can fit a boat. We continue to upgrade our standard of living. We build bigger, better barns. And Jesus is saying, that's not the real deal. Have you ever wondered why God created people that have more than they need and people who have less than they need? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever been driving through like a, a really nice part of downtown where there's restaurants where you could drop $200 on a meal and on the same street corner, there's someone begging for his next meal and wondered why? Why did God do that? I love what Wes Stafford says. He says, when the wealthy and the poor get together, each ends up meeting the desperate needs of the other. Without each other, one tends to die in need and the other in greed. In God's economy, the rich and the poor need each other. Have you ever thought about it like that? Think about this for a second. There are people in your life, maybe even in this very room, that God created you for, that he's actually intentionally given you things that they need so that you could play a part in God's redemption story for them, so that you could reflect the gospel through your generosity over and over again. When we are rich towards God, we start to see our stuff not as our stuff, but as gifts trusted to us by the creator of the universe to let the gospel reign and his kingdom be known. That's exciting. But we've got to keep our eyes open for the people God created us for to share our earthly treasures with. Now, if you were the kid who sold the most candy bars in your school fundraiser so that you could get like the nicest item on the prize catalog that came with it, you might be asking the question, so what are we talking about here? They got like Lambos in heaven or something? Like what's, uh, what kind of rewards we got? I, I don't know, I have no idea. But I can say confidently that whatever it is that you are trying to fill in your heart with that next purchase and that next upgrade, you can bank on the fact that whatever God has in plan in store for you is gonna do the trick. So let's open our eyes and see what God has for us. That brings us to the two visions that Jesus lays before us. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of 
darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And here we see a clear vision and a cloudy vision. A little parenting hack I've picked up is when I'm taking my boys out on a walk, if I want my youngest boy to go in a different direction, it almost does me no good to try and tell him where we're going. Left and right mean nothing to him. Latitude and longitude doesn't get him anywhere. But I have found great success when I gently grab his head and I turn it <laughs> in the direction that I want him to go. He's like, oh, okay, we're going here now. They need like those horse blinder things, but for kids, right? And the, the, that's the point Jesus is making here is that your body goes where your, where your eyes are looking at, right? Your body follows your eyes. That the, the treasure that you are looking at can become the guiding principle of your whole life. Have you had that before? Anyone have that on Prime Day? A little bit? You can't even like have a conversation without looking for those lightning deals, right? Like I, I started hating Thanksgiving because Black Friday had become Black Thursday and I like couldn't stop looking for like a deal on a TV. I couldn't enjoy my family and my friends and good food because treasure had clouded my vision. So we gotta ask ourselves, what are we looking at? How would your spouse and your kids answer that question? How would the advertisement algorithms that are always listening answer that question? What about the target app and your screen time stats and your search history? What are you looking at? I picture a person with two coins over their eyes. Have you ever even said the statement, I've got my eye on that? Well, Jesus would flip it around and say, no, that thing is on your eyes. And it's blocking you from seeing what really matters. See, consumerism clouds our calling. It prevents us from seeing God and from seeking his righteousness. When our treasure is right here in front of us, we have a really hard time knowing what God is up to in our lives. We have a really hard time seeing him. So we've got to, our, our next practice is we've got to focus on God's kingdom. And when we do this, it changes everything. It flips our world upside down. This is where that passage about the treasure in the field comes in. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field and in his joy, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. See, the moment he found that treasure, nothing else mattered anymore. Everything shifted. His whole perspective changed. His world was flipped upside down. And the same happens to us, that the more we look at God's kingdom, the more this earthly kingdom fades away. And the stuff that used to be so important to us, maybe even the, the driving force of our entire lives, suddenly fades to the background. And then something really cool starts to happen. We start to get really courageous with our calling. And not just, not, not just in the big ways, like the missions trips and the career paths, we start to see opportunities to step into God's story every single day. 
And I gotta tell you, if like getting rid of some stuff sounds so lame, I promise you, God has an adventure waiting for you. You can't even imagine right now because you can't see it. And he's calling you to follow him. So what needs to be removed from your vision to see God's kingdom more clearly, to step into his story more fully? You need to cut up some credit cards. You need to hit unsubscribe on some, on some different subscriptions you have. Maybe there are some possessions and collections that you would just be better off without because they occupy too much of your vision. What do you need to remove from your eyes so that you can see God's kingdom more fully? And that brings us to the two masters. Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But we sure like to try, don't we? We, we tend to think of God and money as like two part-time employers, right? Where God gets our Sundays and our religious holidays and then money, the rest of our availability. And though you can have two part-time jobs, no slave could be the property of two masters. This language implied complete devotion to something or someone. So I wanna ask us, what are you loyal to? Where does your loyalty lie? How often do you think about money and upgrades and purchases and finances and investments? If someone were to look at your schedule and your budget, who would they say is your master? When an opportunity to be generous comes your way, are you too concerned with the cost to you to deliver the blessing to them? And let's bring this home for some of our parents in the room. If your kid came to you and they told you they wanted to take a gap year after high school and go on a missions trip or drop $15,000 on Bible college, would you hesitate? Would you tell them they were wasting their time and their money? Or would you see that as an eternal investment? Would you see that as what really matters? Because if we are really honest today, families, the lesson that most of our kids are learning right now from us is you need to get a good education so that you can get a good job, so that you can make good money and have a good life. And Jesus is saying, it's fading away. And I have something so much better for you. We need to teach our kids to live for God, to serve God with their lives to give them everything that they've got, to celebrate when they feel called to do something. But for so many of us, how can we teach something that we're not even doing ourselves? We've gotta live for God. Clearing our vision helps us see God's calling in our life day by day. But when we start living for God, this changes the trajectory of our whole future. When we, when we spend more of our time planning our life around living for God than our own financial security, then we're starting to understand what it means for God 
to be our true master. It's when church becomes more important than an extra day at the cabin, when our, when our house becomes a home to other people, when our stuff becomes gifts entrusted to us to share with others. Who speaks louder in your life, money or God? And maybe today, you've never made that decision to live for God. You've never let go of this world which is fading fast to hold on to something that lasts forever. I gotta tell you, money makes a miserable master. We felt that when gas prices soared over $5, when the housing market made it impossible for you to find a place. Money's a miserable master, but God is such a good master. And if you've never given your life to him today, hey, you can, you can give him your devotion. You can ask him to forgive your sin and to lead your life. And I promise you that whatever you give up for his sake will be worth it. Because when we give up what we have, we get what really matters. And if you, if you wanna make that decision, you can come down to the stage right after service today. We have people that will help you pray that prayer to invite Jesus to lead your life. Maybe make it a one-two punch and you can make that decision to get baptized as well. We're doing uh, river baptisms at the end of the summer at our church in the park event, Labor Day weekend. And uh, there's no better time to get dunked than that. So you can find out more info. If you just have questions about baptism, you can go to hillcityboise.org baptism. But there's a conversation that happens between Jesus and this wealthy young man that really captures this idea. Jesus had just finished teaching in a town, and he was packing up to head on to the next. And this rich young ruler must have just gotten back from a business trip, just missed him. And he starts hearing people talking about some of these claims and some of the teachings of this radical rabbi. And he starts to wonder if maybe this is what he's been missing all along. Because this is a guy who's never been denied anything, who has everything he's ever wanted, and yet he still feels empty inside. There's still something missing. And when he hears the words eternal life, he can't help himself. He has to go find Jesus before it's too late. So he throws caution to the wind, picks up his robes, and he sprints out of town, leaving a trail of dust behind him. And Jesus, he's just making his way down the main road when he hears this guy sprint up, fall at his feet, at, and say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops short, turns around, and looks down at the man and says, you, you know the commandments. And he just starts rattling them off. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, don't lie. And the man's like, yeah, 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 I've, I've done all of that since I was a little boy. And Jesus just smiles at him. He, he can't help but love this guy. And with a heart full of compassion, he's like, okay, there is one more thing you can do. And the man gets up off his knees, eager, like eager anticipation at Jesus's next words, ready to spring into action the moment he hears this new commandment. And Jesus says, go, 
sell all of your possessions, give all of your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come find me and follow me. And at Jesus' words, the man's face fell. And he turned around slowly, and he walked sadly back into the town to his nice house full of nice things. And what could have been? What if he had accepted Jesus' invitation? I mean, this guy would have joined the ranks of the 12 disciples. He would have seen Jesus do the impossible again and again. I mean, this was the adventure of a lifetime. Maybe he would have even written part of the Bible, I don't know. But you can flip through the rest of the book of Mark and the rest of the four gospels, and you never see this guy mentioned again. And it's so easy for us to hear this story and to be like, dude, it was right there. He laid it before you. You had your chance. And how often do we make the same choice, though? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture that dusty road. You're standing before Jesus. You just asked him, what must I do? What does he say? What is he asking you to leave behind to follow him fully? What's he telling you to walk away from so that you can go on the adventure of a lifetime? If today you are ready to let go of those rusty rewards, those temporary treasures, and take hold of the true treasure, the life of abundance that Jesus has for you. I invite you during this next song just to open your hands, to give, and at the same time receive. Because when we give away what we have, and we get the only thing that matters. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.